Hello everyone, you're listening to The Breakdown. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's great to have you. Election season is really hotting up, guys, and I kind of mean that pretty literally. No, but seriously, stay hydrated. But anyway, election season is getting really underway now. The first round of voting is day after tomorrow. The tension is through the roof and palpable. The media is going crazy. Politicians are campaigning really hard on the road. And somehow, the manifestos are finally out, guys. How funny is that? Now, the fact that these manifestos from major political parties are out so late really shows a really poor reflection of our political discourse and the fact that our political parties don't really seem to take us seriously enough to really make issues and ideas which they put in the manifestos at the central core of their political campaigns. However, no such scrutiny will be escaped on the breakdown where this week on two separate editions we will discuss the major policy proposals and manifestos of the two major political parties, namely the BJP and the Congress. Not in those order, however. We will first discuss the Congress. Their manifesto came out slightly earlier than the BJP's last week. Sorry, BJP, first come, first served. Before we go into the Congress's manifesto, let's talk a little bit about how you should assess a manifesto anyway, because a lot of people have been asking me this. You know, should we believe everything we are told or should we handle it with skepticism? You know, how should we judge a manifesto and its pros and cons? Well, it's quite simple, actually. Think about it like a game of two truths and a lie, where you, the voter, are tasked with calling bullshit on some of the promises that politicians make. I mean, sure, some of them would sound really easy and simple and you can give them credit for that. But then there would be other promises which would just be extremely outlandish and just sound impossible to work with and even counterproductive. At the end of the day, that's where you as a voter sit down and you weigh these ideas against each other, the truths and the lies, and then you make your decision objectively as to whether you want to vote for a certain political party and whether their policy proposals really represent your views on certain things. So for this week, let's get into the Congress's manifesto. And that, if you didn't gather, was the Congress's anthem for this election cycle, Mehito Hindustan Hu, which is penned by the legendary Javed Akhtar, and it was composed by Arjuna Harjai. God damn it, I sound like a bloody radio jockey. Anyway. We'll get into the manifesto itself. The slogan for the Congress on this election is Abhoga Nyai, and they talk about the fact that there hasn't been justice and equality in the last five years, and it is kind of very central to the manifesto itself. The manifesto is also incredibly long. It reads 55 pages, not a very easy bedtime reading. I do encourage you to read through it and go through some of the things they say, I'll be summarizing only the key elements of this manifesto, which make the most sense and the ideas which I believe are the most important. The first part of the manifesto has to do with employment or calm and jobs in specific. The Congress recognizes unemployment as the greatest problem in the Indian economy and they give highest priority to solving this problem. Unemployment in India has been at a 45-year high at 6.1% as the manifesto recognizes. 
According to some estimates from the Center for Monitoring the Indian Economy, this number is actually at 7.2%, which is again pretty grim reading for the ruling government. The Congress's agenda with this is first filling the 4 lakh vacancies which exist in the central government and the central public sector enterprises, the judiciary and the parliament, and they want to do so by March 2020. This is definitely an ambitious goal, but it is, it is also less ambitious than the goal for employment that the BJP had come up with. Uh, it's also good to see that the Congress is promising something which is quite specific. They're saying, listen, we are going to fill these vacancies which are already in our government to what's in our power. The other idea that they have is to create a ministry of industry services and employment. Now, this could be a, quite a good promise since a new ministry would look into specific problems related to employment and industries and the service sector. However, my concern with creating such a ministry is the fact that it creates a lot of bureaucracy and if the Congress can't cut through some of that red tape, then it will really slow down the process of streamlining problems. And so I do hope that they do have some ideas in how they will work around this new ministry of theirs uh, if this actually actualizes when they come into power, if they come into power. The next part of the manifesto which I want to discuss comes in their second part, their minimum income support scheme or NYAI. Now this is the most important promise of the Congress and we will actually discuss this in a lot more detail when we sit down to talk about the economy and whether this idea is actually workable. But the Congress again recognizes poverty as one of the greatest hurdles to the Indian growth story and their idea with NYAI or the minimum income support scheme is to award the bottom 5 crore families or the poorest 20% of this country with 72,000 rupees a year, which exactly translates to 6,000 rupees a month. Now, there has been a lot of contention on this scheme primarily because first people are asking the question whether it is entirely necessary to give direct cash transfers out to the poor and whether that de-incentivizes work for them at all. Because if you're giving them a guaranteed income, then those people could sit there, take the income and not be interested in working anymore. However, what the Congress has said is that this is to just complement the money they are making and sort of provide them some extra financial support. And they feel that the poor could then reinvest some of that money in the education and in training their, their kids and their families and making them sort of more resilient and efficient in the economy itself. So it could definitely go both ways and the debate and argument exists. However, the greater concern that I have with this scheme uh, comes from two places. The first is that this is an incredibly expensive scheme. Indeed, the Congress's own manifesto says that this scheme could cost just a little less than 2% of GDP. That is an incredibly extortionate figure and the Congress really will have to find the money for this. The second problem that I see coming from this scheme is the fact that the Congress will have to recognize these five crore families as they've put it. And reliable data on this simply does not exist in the government uh, because a lot of incomes from families is not certified and not known uh, to the central government itself. So this definitely creates some logistical hurdles for it. Uh, hopefully they have some ideas in mind to kind of get through this problem as well. Again, this is for you to judge. The next part of the manifesto which I want to discuss is to do with institutions, uh, the judiciary in specific. And the reason why we're discussing this is because the judiciary has been under quite a bit of fire recently uh, for being biased. Indeed, there was a press conference last year, I believe, where three judges came out to say that 
there was politicization while the allocation of cases were being made in the judiciary and so the congress has proposed the creation of a national judicial commission an njc which would be responsible for selection of judges of the high courts and the supreme court and the njc will be comprised of judges jurists and parliamentarians and it will be serviced by secretariat and their idea for this is to have a transparent system and have names of suitable candidates already in the public domain the and there's plenty more about accountability on this manifesto the congress has talked about electoral reforms police reforms reforms in the media and so upholding the freedom of the media which is again something which has been um widely talked about uh empowering local self governments and state governments as well so these are all ideas which have been talked about in the congress manifesto which i can't really go into but they all sound like promising ideas which are workable and pragmatic and quite intelligent it's for you to play two truths and a lie with these the next part of the manifesto has to do with the self esteem for the deprived and again the congress has spoke about the experience of women of backward classes of linguistic minorities of senior citizens etc one thing which is worth mentioning is that the congress has said that they would be incredibly firm with people who have been involved in mob lynching which has been something of a problem in the last few years even the human rights watch has recognized that as a problem and so that's promising to see that they will end that sense of impunity for people who take the law in the hands on the street uh, what's worth focusing here is jammu and kashmir which they've recognized as an issue the congress have affirmed that they would not be tampering with the special status of jammu and kashmir which is under the article 370 of the indian constitution which basically gives kashmir so kind of independence in operation but also it deprives other citizens in the country of from having uh, an economic say in kashmir so you can own property in kashmir etc you can look at article 370 in a little more detail the part of contention here is the armed forces special powers act and this is something which the congress was criticized about on mainstream media a lot a lot of people came out to say the congress is anti national or threatening to remove the armed forces special powers act and i i want to spend some time breaking this kind of promise on this manifesto down the first thing to know is that the congress has hasn't actually said they will strike down the armed forces special powers act they've simply said and i'm quoting them here the armed forces special powers act and the disturbed areas act in jammu and kashmir will be reviewed there's definitely a difference between reviewing an act and completely striking it down and they further said that there suitable changes will be made in the text of the law to balance the requirements of security and the protection of human rights now the reason that sounds promising to me first to explain the armed forces special powers act the act is basically something which was enacted on 11 september 1958 and what it basically says is that the armed forces can take special power in a state like kashmir and other states of the northeast as well actually where this part exists and they would have a sense of freedom in handling the problem as they see fit they could shoot civilians or citizens who they think are suspicious they can arrest them without a warrant and so they can seize on some of their basic rights under the indian constitution now obviously this sounds problematic but the central government argues this is important to kind of suppress upheaval in a sort of complicated place like kashmir the congress has simply said that this act has been used quite liberally over the last few years 
And they've actually cited that protection of human rights is a great concern in a place like Kashmir. International watchdogs like Amnesty International and the Human Rights Watch have said that the Indian armed forces have committed grave human rights violations in Kashmir, which does not reflect very well on a democratic country like India. So I actually welcome the fact that the Congress have said that they will make changes to balance the requirements for security as well as protection of human rights. Another area where I see this manifesto is quite promising in its approach to Kashmir is the deployment of armed forces and the fact that the Congress has said that it would review the deployment of these forces um, and rather move the forces to the border itself and reduce their presence in the immediate valley. The reason I see this as quite promising is because the presence of the military in the Kashmir Valley itself where civilians get on with their day-to-day lives, kids go to school and people go to work, is that an increased military presence increases the scope for miscalculation and also increases the suspicion between these people. I believe this will actually diffuse the situation a lot better and obviously the military can get on with their counter-terrorism options uh, with other militants in Kashmir and rather than anything that's what the Congress have said and they've also proposed a dialogue in Kashmir again. This is something which a lot of governments have done and not very successfully. So we can definitely take this with a tinge of skepticism. An area of the manifesto which I'm totally happy with is the Congress's commitment to the rights of LGBTQ+. And this is an area where obviously we saw the Indian Supreme Court come out last year with the landmark judgment which basically decriminalized homosexuality in India and which was a great win for the LGBTQ plus community. They've also proposed a gender sensitivity training for the rights of LGBTQ people and it would be made mandatory for all government departments and organizations including armed forces and police forces. So uh, this is definitely a win and Congress has said that it recognizes sexual diversity among people and uh, it wants to take on the mantle of equality and ensuring the equality of all these folks. The next part of the manifesto has to do with a life of dignity for all and talks about basic services. Congress's commitment on healthcare is that they want to double their expenditure on healthcare to 3% of GDP by 2023-2024. And their commitment on education is to increase the allocation on education to 6% and also increase the number of Kendra Vidyalas and universities, but also promising to make school education from grade 1 to grade 12 compulsory. Now, I want to spend some time on talking about these commitments to double the budget of the healthcare and put the budget of education at 6%. Because one of the promises the Congress has made has to do with the fiscal deficit and they want to limit the fiscal deficit to 3%. There are a lot of schemes like healthcare where they want to increase the budget, like education where they want to increase the budget, uh, like the NIAI scheme where they want to allocate a budget just under 2%, where a lot of these ideas don't seem to complement each other. They just seem incredibly expensive, and it doesn't seem like the Congress can actually implement all of them at the same time. And so this is a question worth asking. The second part is whether increasing the budget of healthcare and education actually solve all the problems which exist in the sector. And this is an area where Amartya Sen and John Drays had done a study in their book in Uncertain Glory, where it showed that increasing the budget of education under consecutive Congress governments didn't actually change the quality of education. And so teachers who were not coming to school in public, publicly owned schools were still not coming to schools. 
So this is a definitely a problem looking worth looking into. The Congress has said that they would increase the number of uh, schools and universities, but whether that does solve the problem of public education, I'm not very sure about that. In terms of healthcare, uh, the Congress has again promised three uh, percent of the GDP to healthcare. I believe one of the most important things for them to address is the ratio of doctors to citizens, which is currently 1 to 1,681, which means for every one doctor, there's 1,681 people. And it's even more appalling when you look at government hospitals. The ratio is at 1 is to 11,528, which shows that 11,528 people on average in public hospitals are served with one doctor. This is a really, really low, low number. And I, I do feel that the Congress has to do a lot more rather than just increasing the budget to fulfill some of these commitments. One area where this manifesto definitely delivers is the environment and on climate change. And I'm happy to see that the Congress has uh, recognized this as a major problem. I believe the biggest thing which has come out of this is that the Congress wants to declare air pollution as a national public health emergency. Indeed, some of the most polluted cities in the world are in the top 10. Actually, most of them belong in India, which is kind of a matter of shame for us. The fact that we are not really protecting our own citizens. The Congress has also promised the creation of the Environmental Protection Authority, the EPA, to establish, monitor and enforce environmental standards and regulations. The reason why I consider this is really important and I believe we don't talk about this enough, is the fact that the environment will be a significantly important concern for our country and for the world actually for many years to come. And it is great to see, and it's a breath of fresh air to actually see a manifesto come out and recognize this as a great problem. I do hope that just rather than putting these promises on their manifesto in quite a bit of detail about the environment, we see the Congress actually deliver on this and kind of take the ideas of the Paris Agreement, uh, which recognize the responsibilities of country and the commitments to the environment, and they take it very seriously. The Congress ends this manifesto with an appeal to the voters. They say that India has suffered immensely over the last five years in the economic sector with joblessness, in the agrarian sector, and the fact that the BJP has divided society. And it reinforces their own ability to lead and to deliver. And they end by saying that we have delivered before and we will deliver again. And they end this by saying we have delivered before and we will deliver again. And so that was the Congress Manifesto. I do want you to take some things away from this podcast. The first was that it was good to see the Congress address issues which I believe are not that prevalent in a mainstream discourse. When I talk about this, it's the issue of the environment where the Congress have said that they will declare air pollution as a national health emergency and they will also create an environmental protection agency. The fact that the Congress have recognized the rights of LGBTQ people as well. I believe that's an incredibly important thing. The Congress has also said in their manifesto, which I didn't bring up, that they would like to end manual scavenging, where people of low caste communities like Dalits have to literally go into holes in the ground and collect people's human excreta out. And I believe that's a really inhumane practice, which they've again endeavored to end, which again isn't really normal in our mainstream media. And they've also talked about things which are not very popular in mainstream media, but which on kind of analysis do show promise and 
And they've also talked about things like the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, which a lot of people see as draconian and misused greatly by the military. They've spoken about removing defamation as a criminal law as it exists, where the ruling government can basically use the law to put pressure on people and remove their right to speak up. And so they want to change that and make it into a civil offense. And so this manifesto is definitely quite inclusive on its values, on its specific promises. It's for you to assess if they can be worked around. And we will do the same when we talk about the BJP later in the week. I wish you a great week as I started this podcast. Stay hydrated, guys. It's pretty hard out there. Enjoy.